Hi, everybody. Just a quick intro for you here before we get started. The episode we're doing today is The Matrix, and uh, we've been doing the Keanu Sewers now for, I think, basically a year, so a really fun one-year anniversary episode. Uh, obviously, we're doing this because The Matrix Resurrections is coming out. Uh, it should be out when you are able to listen to this. We're trying to get them up at the same time. So I hope everyone has had a chance to see it and to see it safely, and we would love to always hear what you think. So if you want to join us on Twitter, the Keanu Soares, Instagram, the Keanu Soares, or uh, if you want to sign up for the Patreon, which is obviously the Keanu Soares as well, uh, we would be glad to uh, have a lively discussion about the Matrix Resurrections in any of those places. Uh, our guest today is Emmett Hobbs. Uh, Emmett is a brilliant cartoonist and a close personal friend, uh, and we are very happy to have him and his perspective on this work. Uh, make sure to check out Emmett's social. He links it in the show, and we will link it in the show notes as well. So thanks, everyone, and enjoy The Matrix. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Keanu Sewers, the podcast where we are going through the entire Keanu Reeves film archive ranking the films and deciding importantly whether they are just another version of the matrix or not and we have a very special discussion in store for you here today i am as always your co-host g brett williams i am joined by my co-host jasmine lee jasmine tell everyone hi hello and we are joined by our guest today emmett hobbs emmett do you want to tell people who you are what you do while you're here uh yeah i'm a cartoonist and that's pretty much it i don't have <laughs> Any other hobbies. <laughs> um, but I think a lot about movies and media. Um, I overthink things. And, um, yeah. Yeah. That's why we that's, we love that here on the Keanu Soars. We love people who overthink things. It's how this stupid podcast got started, <laughs> because I couldn't stop thinking about whether John Wick was another version of The Matrix or not. Um, Emmett is joining us uh, from Atlanta. This is actually the first time that all three Keanu Soares voices are in the same room at the same time. Yeah. So uh, give a little <laughs> round of applause for that. Thank you, vaccinations. Yeah. Everyone get vaccinated. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and, and Emmett, um, just curious, we like to ask every guest we have on the show if they have a favorite Keanu Reeves memory or an early Keanu Reeves memory, anything that, you, that sticks out to you uh, as the first moment you remember thinking, wow, that guy... That guy's something to pay attention to. Well, The Matrix was the first movie that I saw Keanu Reeves in. Oh, ever. okay. All so right. my introduction to him was as an action mm-hmm. star. Wow, I don't know if that's great or horrible. Where it's, it's like very it's like, strange. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Here's the best movie this person will ever do. <laughs> I, know. I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and that's kind of what it was. I didn't, I didn't really think very seriously of him as an actor or an artist for the longest time because it was just... He's, he peaked, mm. or I, I got to know him when he peaked. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think that's, that's an interesting time to, to sort of introduce yourself to Keanu Reeves. Um, I think that everyone knows what The Matrix is. It was released in 1999. It changed filmmaking forever. Mm-hmm. It was released by Lana and Lily Wachowski, who uh, we uh, stand hard on this show. I will defend literally every Lana and Lily Wachowski film. If anyone wants to talk about Cloud Atlas, I'm around. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, and it and it broke genre conventions. It changed special effects in Hollywood forever. It won four Oscars. We all know what The Matrix is. We know what it's about. We've all probably seen it at this point. So we're probably going to spare you a lot of the. Uh, it, there were these production things, or there were yeah. these. There was this trivia about it. Yeah. We all know uh, the trivia about the <laughs> Matrix. We all know how they shot the bullet time scene. So really, what we're hoping to do today is just have a really lively discussion about what I think is the most important thing about the Matrix, or the thing that is coolest about the Matrix, which is its uh, cultural impact. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Matrix is for a generation, um, probably the generation just younger just slightly younger than me um it is the star wars to an extent it is the thing Mm -hmm. that kind of it it contains multitudes you can look at it and find a lot of different stories you can see a lot of different things reflected Mm -hmm. in it and i think we're going to talk 
a lot about that today. Um, because I think that is the way to approach the Matrix. Anything critically that can be mm-hmm. said about the Matrix has been said to death yep. at this point. <laughs> um, so I will start with Jasmine. Jasmine, um, you know, what were your first... I know that we've briefly discussed the Matrix a few times on the podcast. Yeah. Um, you kind of have an interesting introduction to the Matrix, right? You mm-hmm. saw it at through church. the lens of yeah. church, yes. right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, what was your first impression, and how was it? It was how was it kind of given to you? Was it were you being told that it was Christian media, or were, were it, you hoping? Were they hoping that you would interpret it as such? <laughs> I think definitely more of the latter than the former. And actually, the entire day, I was trying to figure out when exactly in my like church timeline that I saw this because I definitely went through like baptism training and to make it wait what is baptism, baptism training well, like it prepares you for your baptism when you're no like, I understand I understand that yeah. what training is oh, yeah. I'm just curious what being trained for baptism means it's so that a we like are all up to snuff on like our bible knowledge oh so it's like a driver's like test kind of then, yeah, yeah. Okay. and also so that you know what's gonna happen that you know not to freak out you're not gonna drown and also it was like so it's swimming thing. so it's a swimming test plus sort of like a how do you get into heaven kind of um, okay. yeah like crash course kind of thing crash yeah. course on which heaven. is weird because um yeah like looking back on it it's kind of ridiculous but um something they try to do because they really wanted everyone to um be together as a group as like the baptism group um because like once you turn 13 that's just like your cohort i guess yeah once you turn 13 you swim in a giant pool with other (laughs) converted children yeah Yeah. that's normal so because of that they really came up with like fun activities to do as a group so we knew each other outside of the church setting yeah you know why because baptism is clearly church setting um and I cannot, I, I wonder if that's what, how I saw this or if it was like a normal like Friday night Bible study activity that we just decided to watch The Matrix. But either way, <laughs> it's a very so specific. Bizarre. Yeah. No, but what's really interesting is when I brought it up in our Constantine episode, yeah. Alex um, Steed also like was just like, yeah, that's what the cool Christians did. And yeah. so it was <laughs> something that we looked forward to as we got older, um, even though the movie I think had only been out maybe a couple of years by then or something like that, but people knew it. Um, yeah. No, so, yeah, people yeah. people knew the yeah. Matrix. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's... But, <laughs> that's but it was, and it's like... A it's, moderate <laughs> success. It's, it's so interesting because I remember so much of the setup and how, like, what the vibes were like. So we were... Um, it, there was a... Um, a projector and there was just like beamed against a wind uh, a wall and so now every time i see a blank white wall i immediately think of the matrix watching it in a basement um yeah it's like a very specific like it's a very specific yeah. sense memory yeah. you yeah. have so um, what was your so what so what kind of like like impression did you have of it like it being yeah. i know that you like you have a much different reaction yes. or, or relationship mm-hmm. to your religious background mm-hmm. now than you did yeah. obviously when you were living yeah. through it mm-hmm. I, I think I remember you saying in the Constantine episode that you kind of found it a little bit trite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. it, I mean, it through also, that lens, yeah, right? it also yeah. didn't help with that because, and when you had asked whether it was sold to us as like a Christian movie experience or whether it was like a we can glean Christian uh, like ideology or um, allegory or whatever from it, yeah. I think it's more like that because they paused like every thirty minutes or whatever to be like uh this is a reference like when they walk it like on the um nebuchadnezzar ship there's like yeah. uh the bible verse thing they like yeah. talk through it we took a beat to like read the verse <laughs> and uh just like work through it <laughs> i'm sorry yeah so you're telling me that the way that they taught you the matrix was they actually paused yep. at moments through the film mm-hmm. and said mm-hmm. This here is yep. a direct mm-hmm. reference mm-hmm. to Christianity. Yep. And, and in the sense that it is yeah. meant to teach you uh-huh. and convert you to mm-hmm. Christianity. This Not is <laughs> convert you to, but know that Christianity is still cool. Okay. And that it not. exists and it's definitely yeah. real. We're going to And that this film, mm-hmm. which we now know was made by two <laughs> yeah. trans siblings, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. was definitely trying to tell you a really cool story yeah. about Jesus. Yeah. 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 Right. And it's also because I was doing just a bunch of just like research because I was just like Matrix, like a religious allegory. And what people have been saying that it's Gnostic 
G-N-O-S-T-I-C. Yeah. Because it's not necessarily about how, like, you know, Jesus came down to save the world or whatever. But it's, like, in the Gnostic version of it, it's, like, the God came down specifically to, like, fix what was wrong. And he wasn't, like, um, a religious, like, um, savior or, like, whatever. He was, like, the bearer of knowledge to, like, let you exist in a world that may, like, you know, easily hoodwink you if you're not Christian and, you know, alert. Um, But also (laughs) that you just had the knowledge and ability to see through the facades of like the world and so there's a lot of articles out there that are talking it's definitely Gnostic because it'll the matrix aligns more with that where it's like you realizing that you're part of the matrix of what frees you as opposed to mm-hmm. Neo isn't saving humanity I mean yes he is but in this one he has a very specific love it's Trinity he doesn't like love the earth and even though he is tasked with saving and he does successfully save like the planet, it's very reluctant. Nothing is really his will until he's like further down mm-hmm. into it. Like the train station scene happens two thirds of the movie in, and that's yeah. when he really like believes it and mm-hmm. stuff. And so that's like super interesting. And so anyway, back to like the original question. Um, yeah, my first viewing and like digestion of the Matrix, I was just like, what is this? Like, who put this together? Like, I don't even really find Keanu that attractive in this movie because it's paused every like 10, 15 minutes and I can't absorb anything. <laughs> That's so miserable. Yeah. Yeah. And then. It's such a miserable way to consume media in so, general. <laughs> it was so off putting. It's, uh, it's yeah. often how I end up consuming Keanu Reeves films for this podcast, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. But like, we're it. Yeah, or at yeah. least it's bad enough. I watched Hardball, or uh, not Hardball. I watched the replacements 15 minutes, <laughs> yeah. 15 insufferable minutes dude, at a time. That so was, we talked about it. it was like the only way it could exist. So I think <laughs> that it's, it's, it's important to note that like, mm-hmm. yes, the Wachowskis in their, like the way that they structure the film, aesthetically, there are references to savior myths. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there, it's not necessarily like, I mean, like Jesus is not the only savior myth throughout world history and religion. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there are many, many versions of that myth. Yeah. And so it it certainly is like, I think, pulling from, it's it's aesthetically pulling from those sort of like, those tropes and that, mm-hmm. that kind of narrative structure. Mm-hmm. Um, it is that chosen one. Um, but it, in a lot of ways, I mean, it's, it's, it's fair. It's, it's sort of if Dune was about trans identity. I mean, like, honestly, like, that's kind of what The Matrix is, too. It's subvert... Because the, the second two films go on to really subvert the whole savior notion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's all about working together and, like, finding common ground mm-hmm. and, and, like, actually building towards a future together that is not about mm-hmm. domination and destruction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Emmett, I know that you also grew up with, like, a, a kind of... Um, a, a religious background and some some you know kind of boundaries around secular media like uh, so what was your like hearing that from Jasmine and knowing <laughs> that that sort of like that there are a, there's a large group of people who sort of see the Matrix as definitely Christian allegory right. and not just sort of aesthetically mm-hmm. allegorical to savior myths like how do you feel about that and and what was your sort of first reaction to the Matrix when you saw it. So I'm so surprised that I've never heard of this, like yeah. it, be, it being uh-huh. so entrenched and being showed to like youth groups yes, and stuff yes, like that. Yeah. Um, I can't believe I'd never heard of that because we did similar things in church where we would rewrite the lyrics to like All Star by Smash Mouth. Oh my God, yeah. As a worship song. Uh-huh. Wait, is All Star already is pretty chaste, right? I mean, it's, it's a pretty not about celebratory censorship. film. Yeah. It's not about <laughs> censorship. It's about being explicit that Jesus is the all-star or that we are all-stars for believing oh, in Jesus. Oh, love songs okay. are about Jesus. They should be about Jesus. He should be the main character yeah. and everything. So oh, that's okay. Yeah. Wow. But, <laughs> hey, um, all right. But I did have a lot of boundaries around media and what I was allowed to watch and listen to. Um, I can, did you ever call music like that wasn't Christian like secular music? Secular music, Because I yeah. went through a phase where I did that as well, which is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I went Looking through that phase it. until I was 18 years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, you had a lot of boundaries around that sort of media. A lot. And I cannot believe that my parents let me watch an R-rated movie when I was like 10 years old. Um, but pretty much the rule there was that as long as there was no sex in it, uh-huh. it was probably fine. Oh, well, The Matrix is remarkably sexless. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So that was probably part of why I was allowed to see it. And then the other part is that my dad is a programmer. Mm. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> he was super into computers. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So, so that's you're probably it. So so what was your, so so you saw it pretty young. Yeah. So did you did at that point were you just like this is cool this is crazy that I'm being allowed to watch this did you have any kind of emotional response to it at that age I or? had no emotional response to it whatsoever oh. I did not I did not connect with it which is funny because we're we're gonna be talking so much about it being a trans allegory and uh-huh. I'm transgender yeah. but uh, no I did not connect with it on, on any <laughs> intimate level whatsoever uh-huh. Uh-huh. so when you. Was your most recent reviewing of it, was that, had you watched it since then? Was the Matrix, is the Matrix a film that you're like, have some familiarity with between 10 and today? Or is it kind of just, are you just coming back to it fresh for this podcast? So since then, I'd sort of viewed it as not my thing. I know it's important. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people like it and that's super cool. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't watched it until, uh, since sort of coming out until watching it for this podcast Mm. and watching it then was a pun intended transcendent experience (laughs) (laughs) we encourage many puns on this podcast (laughs) that i had a very emotional connection with it um yeah the the viewing was good i watched it by myself and so i was able to take notes and and think very hard on it and um yeah i feel very strongly about it now that's Mm. good to hear and Mm -hmm. so we you you brought up Obviously, we've brought up that it is trans allegory. It is, it has been stated in public by the filmmakers that yes, it is trans allegory. Yeah. They have said we weren't certain necessarily how much mm-hmm. how aware we were of that mm-hmm. when we were making it, but looking back at it now, it is certainly fair to read into mm-hmm. it. And and I think that like it's it's interesting that like the character of Neo is so much a is a is a archetypal. I mean, he's coded as white. Keanu Reeves obviously yeah. has mm-hmm. multiple racial kind of backgrounds, but like he's coded as white. Very, he's coded as yeah. a savior figure. Mm-hmm. He's masculine. He's, he's, you know, and, and, and so it's, it's interesting that like the, the way the the things that you can kind of hide in genre, the things that you mm-hmm. have to hide in genre as a, as a queer storyteller to kind of find ways to kind of tell your authentic story. Mm-hmm. Because I do think like it's, it, when I go back and watch it now through that lens, and I, I have tried to watch it through that lens since both of them came mm-hmm. out as okay. trans, yeah. like I've always tried to watch it through that lens mm-hmm. since that yeah. information was available to mm-hmm. us. Because, and I think once you know that, it's so obvious yeah. that it is about, it, it is about literally like escaping the like the systems of control that tell you what you're supposed to do with your mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Like it's about, it's literally about like, your body, the body that you think you exist in mm-hmm. does not, that there's something fundamentally wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And you're, and, mm-hmm. and there's a real, like there's a real world, a real expression of self. It's about so much about self-actualization, about mm-hmm. body comfort, about yes, like, and, and so like, I'm interested to hear how you feel about that now. Cause like, I, mm-hmm. I think that that's explicit in the text yes. when you watch it now, knowing what we know, how did you feel as a transgender person like watching it now and I know you said you felt very you know connected to it but mm-hmm. what did what what did you see those themes coming out and in what ways yeah so you know we talk a lot about the the explicit parts which is the you know waking up or which is you know like coming out mm-hmm. um but there was and I'm gonna see if, if I can explain it well this undercurrent of feeling disconnected from your body and the world because Mm -hmm. that is such a part of gender dysphoria that is not talked about very often is this almost mathematical understanding of reality as you know uh, electric currents that are being sent to nerves in our brains that um, and just which disconnects you from your body and reality Uh, and I think it makes so much sense that to transgender people who were you know, going through that sort of stuff emotionally, you know, whether they were aware of it or not, um, that they connected with that idea so much. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. 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 I think that's, that's really profound. And I think that it's, it's also, there's just, there's just so much about like, I think, um, just inherent in like, just even in like, just thinking through the idea of it as a queer narrative too, is just like the idea that like, you know, I think that like also when you think about it in in, in relation to the internet and just like mm-hmm. when the film came out, it came out in 1999. I'm 41 years old. I have we talk we joke about like how millennials are the first 
kind of group of people to grow up with the internet. Mm-hmm. And I, I am like right on the line. I straddle Gen X, millennial. I guess I'm an mm-hmm. exennial. <laughs> um, and I, I truly grew up with the internet. And I grew up, and I say this maybe in public for the first time, I grew up with a pretty problematic kind of interaction with the internet. There was a lot of, you know, uh, I, um, I think a lot of people probably experience this. There's a lot of, you can hide a lot on the internet, especially mm-hmm. in the early days when it wasn't the most regulated space. And um, and I think that there's a lot to be said about like this film, like kind of treating the internet as like um, a potentially dangerous place. Mm-hmm. Like if the internet, if the matrix is a reflection of the internet itself. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. I think there, it was an interesting, um, and, and I'm, we're cribbing some from Emily Vanderwerf, who's a Vox writer who wrote very beautifully about this. And I'll link in the show notes her, article about it but like it there's this notion back then i mean like we really didn't even we had just kind of discovered if you will the Mm -hmm. internet and like how it what it meant and we're still kind of like creating the language of existing Mm -hmm. on the internet and how you could really be someone else or you Mm -hmm. could project a certain Mm -hmm. idea of yourself that i think now has gotten so kind of has become so toxic and corrupted and and, and, in, in so many different ways. And in that, that like how people exist online and how they exist through social media and the projection of self that you get in those spaces never feels entirely authentic or Mm -hmm. genuine and, Mm -hmm. and has so much kind of baggage attached to it now that I think it's actually really, I think it's impressive just as filmmakers that they really kind of predicted a lot of this sort of like, not only, the power behind being able to project mm-hmm. yourself into this world. Because another thing that's cool about once you're freed from the matrix is you can go back into it with all this power and mm-hmm. all this yeah. actualization of self and mm-hmm. all of this, you know, true desire. And like, how did, I mean, like, and just the idea of like, that, like that's what the internet did for so many queer kids. Mm-hmm. Like it, yeah. it, like social media, the ability to connect to, a larger community overall, like not just, you know, I could sit in my bedroom and meet other queer kids who had the same experiences mm-hmm. as me. I could pretend to be um, different. I could pretend to be more. I could pretend to be mm-hmm. who I wanted to be or who I vision envisioned myself being and not just who I was scared and alone and mm-hmm. traumatized in a bedroom at 15 years old in yeah. a small town in Tennessee. Yeah. So they really understood, I think, the inherent power in that structure yeah. and what was coming, but also I think understood the inherent danger yeah. in that structure as well. And, and in that level of like anonymity and in the ways that the internet would start to really project itself into systems of control mm-hmm. and yeah. into systems of power um, and, and be corrupt and potentially corrupted in those spaces. And what I'm, clearly driving at now <laughs> um, yeah. is uh, a, a sort of flip side of the, the really positive um, thing that we've been discussing, the, the really positive impact The Matrix had, I think, on a lot of people, mm-hmm. is it, it also had a really, um, it has a, a problematic legacy, not yeah. by any intention of the filmmakers. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, we all are aware that like there is a certain um, corner of, yeah. I mean, the internet especially, mm-hmm. but there's a corner of the sort of alt-right movements mm-hmm. that um, really gravitated towards the notion of the red pill and yeah. escaping as mm-hmm. somehow reconnecting to this notion of whiteness mm-hmm. or masculinity that they felt like like the encroachment of queer narratives and mm-hmm. female narratives and yeah. marginalized narratives was was having, you know, on their lives and, and or, or was taking place in their lives and has really become kind of this like weird rally around, uh, you know, for that that side of the internet and that mm-hmm. group of, of largely white men mm-hmm. um, who really, like, I think, subverted the overall intention of the narrative yeah. in like oh, a really strange yeah. way. Um, I, and I think it's, it's important to talk about because I, I think one of the things we talked about just at the top of the show is the ability to see so much reflected in the matrix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Emmett, you and I have talked a lot about this offline, but like, what are your thoughts on that? On like how, um, how something that is so fundamentally like 
an empowering trans narrative could be so easily co-opted like and how they that group of people somehow saw themselves reflected in this too well i i find it really (laughs) sad because and sad in a i feel sad way not in a sort of pitiable kind of way Mm -hmm. um because obviously what's happening is that the Wachowskis were creating a narrative that spoke to a human experience. And that's why the story hits so hard, is because they were almost um, making, you know, their experiences, uh, yeah, they're, they're making them, not making them on purpose more palatable, but they ended up being more palatable to a large audience mm-hmm. because they weren't approaching it exclusively as a transgender narrative yeah. they were just exper- expressing feelings that they were having mm-hmm. under an aesthetic that they were really excited about mm-hmm. um and so to have a group that has co-opted this as they are the ones who have woken up from the matrix and everybody else is sheep. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, everyone yeah. else is sheeple <laughs> yeah. um it's Snow it's really unfortunate sheep. you know because really what it is is that all humans i not all humans, but in our societies, in Western capitalist societies, mm-hmm. I think we all connect to Neo. I mean, we, all, we all want to self-actualize and be our best selves and have the power to control our environments and make them comfortable for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, yeah, it's, it's just unfortunate. Well, and it's also, <laughs> it's, you know, there's such a strong, I mean, in when a society is structured in the way that ours is where like your fundamental needs are never met Mm -hmm. and like you're constantly at war with yourself and, and, and constantly by your government pitted in these like sort of miniature battles against other, the, you know, all these different people are othered and it's Mm -hmm. a thing that happens strategically at at the highest levels of politics in this country and and, and in all capitalist societies. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that like when you live under the yoke of that for so long, it is really easy. I think even if you're on sort of the wrong side of history, um, (laughs) to see yourself reflected in that narrative of self-actualization or, or, or to that 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 notion of and, and and it's interesting that this film came out at the same time as like Fight Club, yeah, which is like yeah. another film that I think that same exact group of people yep. really misunderstood. More explicitly, more explicitly misunderstood. I mean, it is yeah. so obviously text masculinity is is it's a gay man writing a book about how terrifying toxic masculinity (laughs) can be and how it will tear the world down around itself Mm -hmm. and uh and they fundamentally misunderstood that too um jasmine how do you feel now knowing that knowing that this notion of trans allegory and knowing Mm -hmm. that it was co-opted unfortunately by the right and and knowing what you know is uh, with your own history with it and and just as a keanu fan in general how do you feel about the matrix at this point when you watch it now when you watched it for this Mm -hmm. recording like how did you feel about it yeah, so this is the first time I had watched it since, like, pre-pandemic. Um, and it's really interesting because what I've been doing uh, every time I've watched The Matrix, which is, like, once every two years, is watching it so that I can, like, be more um, aware and, like, uh, it, like, supports me being, like, this is not a Christian allegory at all. Like, that's re- super redundant. And instead, like doing almost like a film analysis like version of it but not specifically as a trans allegory um more so because it's like i feel like i don't have enough information to fully be like trans allegory this like this explains this i understand Mm -hmm. now because i don't want to be that person who's just like i've watched one thing and now i fully understand (laughs) Um, like no um but yeah but and so in another um aspect it's like the way that i watch it is more just um really picking up on how differently i view it since i was younger and so now it's like like i'm just like oh there's a green sheen um anyone who's like in part of the machine like has gold on their yeah we'll talk about that talk about some of those things because i know you you one of the things Mm -hmm. that i love about the way you watch movies is that you watch a lot about craft and and Mm -hmm. one thing i think i think the cultural discussion is extremely important Mm -hmm. and i but i like spend a few minutes talking about craft because Mm -hmm. the wachowskis are wildly inventive filmmakers i have words about this as well please because i mean incredibly crafted movie (laughs) it is and to the extent that it it 
invented technologies that mm-hmm. didn't exist beforehand. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So to start, to talk a little bit about that, about some of the craft elements that really yeah. spoke to you this time. So it's like, so it's, I know whenever I watch a movie or even while I'm watching a movie, I read all the trivia and then just like <laughs> connect the dots like while I'm doing that. And so the first thing that obviously pops up is there's a green tint to everything that's part of the matrix. And yep. so everyone looks like whiter, everyone looks more tired, everyone looks more haunted and like, um, bedraggled um, because they're robots who don't get to actually live their own life so it's very cold and then um, and it's just like really cool because when I saw it like on a bigger screen than you know my phone um, it's like you could <laughs> oh, easily no. see the green everywhere as I yeah. switch between the different like panels and stuff yeah. and then um, there's like a thing it's like a costume thing where anyone who the agents for example and Keanu at the very beginning when he's still at his office job they have like yellow lining inside the gold lining inside their coat and that's just like a reference to them being part of the machine because it's like you know metal like aluminum like that kind of color well and also the Um, fact that gold represents wealth and mm -hmm, it's very clearly an allegory for capitalist structure and and how it marginalizes people Uh (laughs) yeah yeah. Uh and like you can't get beyond whatever your station is already in life well and Um, also it it you know, one of the great trans allegories, or not trans allegories, <laughs> one of the great capitalist allegories uh-huh. of, of you know, modern fiction and modern cinema is obviously The Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. too. And mm-hmm. there's so yeah. much, you know, gold and green and, mm-hmm. and, and putting together a team to go, you know, find... I mean, literally the ending the, of yeah. the Matrix trilogy is they find a giant floating face and have to make a bargain <laughs> with it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not yeah. not The Wizard of right. Oz. Right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I mean, like... <laughs> So finding those gold and green elements, I think, yeah. is, is, I think that's, uh-huh. there's obviously some, I think, some intentionality mm-hmm. in that as yeah. well. Yeah. And it's also really fun to, like, see the origin point of, like, what essentially has become a trope now. Like, Scary Movie made fun of, like, you know, Trinity's jump in the beginning. Um, or yeah. they, um, there's, like, um, like, Bullet Time is now kind of, like, made fun of, um, or at least, like, referenced humorously in, like, other pop culture references. It's, it's passe so. now. If you try it's, to make yes. a bullet time joke, people will be like, oh. I know, yeah. right? Attack it's like, you're stuck in the past. And there's just yeah. something really powerful about being a filmmaker who can make something that is so indelible that, like, it yeah. becomes yeah. parody. Uh-huh. You know? Uh-huh. Like, that's... Yeah. I mean, you clearly have something to say about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> No, it was just, it's just a really, really well-made movie. It's, <laughs> it's so intentional, every portion of it. It holds up so well. Right? Yeah, because yeah. they went into it knowing exactly what they wanted, mm-hmm. and they worked really hard to get mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And they have this incredible library of influences yes. that they yeah. were drawing from. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk about this is an important movie for, you know, trans people and queer mm-hmm. people, especially queer narrative. Mm-hmm. But, you know, on top of that, they weren't just trans people they were trans people who are into like anime and manga and, and play D and growing up and like <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like it's how it's like i think how? we talked about this offline last night but we were both like how are we not just like carrying them around on a leader yeah, like they're, it's the, they're the queens of the nerds yeah they were like handing people like ghost in the shell and being mm. like we want to make this into a movie essentially mm. and they made it into a movie that i think is fundamentally better than ghost in the shell <laughs> <laughs> so, so. But yeah and they you know they were bringing philosophy uh-huh. into it you know yeah. high, kind of high level like, stuff yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah some there's some philosophy. There's some <laughs> sophomore year college philosophy present in the Matrix for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that in the episodes that you don't have to suffer through. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it, it ruins it. It honestly does. I don't think it ruins it, but I also I joke that I that myself and the two Wachowski siblings are the only three people on the planet who like the Matrix yeah. sequels. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I like them and appreciate the Matrix sequels in the same way that I like in theory the first three like the prequels of Star Wars was like understand what they're doing mm. what they want to do and what it serves as a story purpose yes doesn't yep. mean I enjoy the movies yeah but, that's a yeah. That, that's a real fair read and I won't get into the conversation <laughs> yeah. about the prequels because I also I have a lot to say yes, about those yes, and I agree yeah, with you yeah. uh, exceptional message poorly executed <laughs> 
Um, the, um, so I, I think that's that's a, a really robust conversation about kind of all the things we feel about the Matrix. Does mm-hmm. anybody have any last thoughts before we move on to talking about how hot Neo is? <laughs> I, which is funny. I want to talk about how hot Trinity is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for let's a talk about how hot Trinity is yeah. before we um, have to fundamentally in the scope yeah. of the show yeah. you talk know, about she, how hot Neo is. <laughs> um, you know, she's a really important character when you're talking about trans allegory because it was so rare at the time to have a woman in a movie that was primarily marketed to men yeah and not have her be over sexualized Mm -hmm. there's definitely a lot of or damsel yeah or damsel one or the other and (laughs) but you'll notice if you watch the movie that the only shots that sort of show trinity's entire body Mm -hmm. are when she's doing something cool Mm -hmm. yeah and so it's so obviously this idealized woman to someone who is a woman and you know an idealized version of themselves Mm -hmm. versus an ideal sexual partner yes and i just think that is so so beautiful and profound yeah that's real that is profound and i i think even in the way that like neo interacts with her Mm -hmm. is like it is not lascivious it is never like it is it's it's almost like courtly love it's it's so chaste and it's (laughs) like so if you compare that to how cypher interacts with her yeah you know yes cypher represents the entire group of men who would fundamentally misunderstand oh this yeah. for the yeah. next 20 yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> like, we should start calling them ciphers. It would yeah. be absolutely perfect. Yeah. And I think that's a, I, I, that's a, that's a cool way to pivot to, to a thing that, um, I mean, even in the moment, there's a moment in the film where when he meets Trinity in person, he says, I thought you'd be a man. Mm-hmm. And she says, most men do. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, that's just, that's such a, per- that in one yeah. line encapsulates everything yeah. mm-hmm. you're saying. Mm-hmm. I think also, like, Trinity, in, in all of their, I think, just costuming in general also becomes a big part of this and a big, mm-hmm. I think a big part of, like, just that, like, body acceptance mm-hmm. and, and the, the overall queerness of the film, too, mm-hmm. is that the more that they exist in the Matrix as their actualized selves with all of this power, the less gendered their clothing becomes. Mm-hmm. Everyone wears mm-hmm. very similar silhouettes. Yeah. Everyone wears very similar... It's all leather. Mm-hmm. It's all... I mean, it's all very 90s club scene. Yeah. But, yeah. It, is, but, it, but it does... It, it doesn't, like... And I think even in the characters of Switch, like we we talk, you know, the character of Switch was originally supposed to be yes. trans. And every time I see the movie, yeah. I'm like, dang it, that would have been so cool. We could have had it. All. And and I think you know, Emmett made a point uh, earlier before we were on mic where you mentioned I think even like the way that they costume Switch, like is we think that there's probably a binder involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a sort of chest binding uh, DIY kind of situation. There. Yeah. yeah, and like and that character for the audience, if you don't know this, was supposed to be was supposed to present um, female, female in, the in the Matrix and yes. male on the Nebuchadnezzar mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or in the real world, as it were. Mm-hmm. And um, and obvi- in the studios eventually kind of poo-pooed yeah. that idea. That's but I, too weird. No one It's too weird. No one will understand it. And I, uh, well, Can you imagine being told that <laughs> as the Wachowskis? Yeah, like, yeah. no, your trans character's too weird. No one will yeah. understand it. <laughs> it's totally like, fuck thing. you. Yeah. We're about to make everyone understand it to the tune of $460 million. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think we can all agree that um, The Matrix is a exceptionally made film that has a really beautiful message um, and that we all uh, enjoy. Yes. So, yes. All right, we're back with our next segment uh, on the Keanu Sores, uh, a segment that we just call How Many Woes. <laughs> Doesn't have a clever name. No. Um, and uh, obviously in this segment, we usually, uh, what we, at, at least ultimately what we're supposed to do is uh, rank the film uh, one out of five, how many woes would you give it? Um, that's not that much fun. No. Uh, also, this is like a slam dunk five woes. Yes, like, I don't woes. like, yeah. I mean, like, I, I often am asked, what's your favorite Keanu Reeves film? And then I am fundamentally frozen in my steps <laughs> by this question. And I will stare dumbfounded at the person who asked it like they are an alien <laughs> for asking that question until yeah. they finally come around to the notion that they should say, 
other than the matrix. <laughs> yes. right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, okay, thank you. Yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, my favorite Keanu Reeves film other than the matrix. So yeah, this is a five woe across the board. Yes. I think it's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's above reproach. Like you should not try. We can definitely critique the other two. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we will. Uh-huh. I will be, I will die on my, uh, nickel plated nine millimeter, uh, for that, uh, for that, I will fall on my, my gun for that show, for those two sequels. But anyway, um, what we have started doing here, which is a hell of a lot more fun yes. and I don't know if it's okay, but we still do it. Uh, we judge how hot Keanu was in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Emmett, you're the guest. I'll kick to you first on a scale of one to five woes, how hot is Keanu or Neo or however you want to kind of tee this up in The Matrix? Like a one. A one? I don't think he's hot in this movie at all. Really? Please, please explain. Please explain. Jasmine is no longer friends. No longer friends with Jasmine. Jasmine's also patently incapable of giving him anything under a two and a half. So... Yes. It gets the bench line. Okay, so explain why yeah. you think this is like just not attractive at all. Just not doing anything for you. Well, he doesn't get wet during the movie except like when he's covered in goo and that doesn't do it for me. Yeah. That might do it for somebody else. He is fundamentally at his hottest when wet. Yeah. That's been established. That's why Point Break is my... That's oh, as yes. hot as he's ever yes. been. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The end of Point Break is the hottest Keanu Reeves has ever been. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he's just kind of, he's just a little grumpy. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, he's also, he's emotionally kind of... immature. Yeah. And that's not attractive. Everyone him. else that's around valid. him is far more emotionally mature. Yeah. Than yeah. Him. yeah. Like yeah. Morpheus can get it. Trinity yes. can get it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Pretty much the entire crew of the Nebuchadnezzar, yeah. other than Cypher and Neo. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I think he's cool. Like, I definitely wanted to kind of be Neo as yeah. a child. I thought, right. like, this is a cool guy. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's sort of the, the same way. It's like you want to be Luke Skywalker and fuck Han Solo. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, like yeah. you want to fuck Trinity but mm-hmm. be Neo. Mm-hmm. Because Neo gets to have sex with Trinity, <laughs> I guess. I, I mean, also like, wanted to be Trinity. It's just a lot of good just wanted to be a lot of the people in this. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I think that that's fair. I think um, we also talk a lot, or, well, we've talked a lot. I don't know if, because there aren't a lot of, however many episodes of the podcast are up when you hear mm-hmm. this. Um, we haven't talked a lot on the podcast about this, but we have talked a lot as friends mm-hmm. about the idea of, the sort of sexless action hero yes. and how yeah. most action yeah. heroes now are just sort of ciphers onto which you project emotion, but they don't really have a lot of sex appeal. Like yeah. the rock doesn't feel like a person that you could even have sex with. Mm-hmm. Right. feels like he it's was like sort of shaped out of rock. No <laughs> yeah. pun intended. Yeah. He's like a dad that someone built out of clay. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and, and like, and he, and, and like the same of like the Marvel heroes, like yeah. it's like they're, the Chris's are attractive, but like they don't yeah. seem to exude any sexuality. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think it's on purpose. Uh-huh. I think that it is sort of a PG 13 of mm-hmm. the overall landscape of the blockbuster film where yeah. like to make it as, cross-channel relative mm-hmm. or relevant as you possibly can. Yeah. Things can't be, things have to be a little bit chaste. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a chasteness to sort of uh-huh. that, the action genre in general yeah. now. And I think which Keanu... doesn't apply to villains, which I'm very happy about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, but yeah. I think that Keanu is the person who straddles the the old, sexy, Bruce Willis mm. kind mm. of, um, like, like smoldering action hero yes. yeah. in, like, in Speed, in mm. Point Break. Yeah. And then he also is this, that sort of, like, sexless, like, just sort of force of nature action mm-hmm. hero in, mm-hmm. like, John Wick. And yeah. Neo is really, like, The Matrix is kind of when that shift. Yeah. I don't think The Matrix is responsible for that shift, although he has very little sexuality in these films. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is sort of like, you do seem like he is sort of at the, the, the nexus of mm-hmm. that shift from yeah. one sort of action star to the other. He's either like riding the wave of it or they're just Riding taking the wave. It. Yeah. <laughs> Point break pun intended. Yeah, we're doing really oh. good work. Yes. We're doing yeah. great. <laughs> or they're just leveraging the time and the place of like Hollywood conventions. Oh yeah, I do yeah. think it's, it's, it is, it, on a lot of ways, I think it is just about like making things at like making sure that as many kids as possible mm-hmm. can go mm-hmm. consume an IP and then get yeah. obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the sexier your action, like 
you can't build IP. I mean, they tried to build IP around Die Hard, but you can't build IP around a character like John McClane because there's something fundamentally dangerous and unlikable about John McClane, which makes him, unfortunately, sexier. (laughs) (laughs) um, So I I think it, it makes sense that there's just not a lot, I think, to grasp onto there. And I think piggybacking off of that, I would also, I mean, I would put... I think aesthetically, Neo looks very cool and has cool factor that very, I think would very probably get me up to like a two ish. But I'm also like I'm yes, I'm a talk person, about this. I'm a person. <laughs> well, I, first of all, I rank. I am a tr- I rank. I I do my rankings in this way based yeah. on the character, not the actor. How yes. hot the actor yeah. looked. Uh-huh. I would not date Neo. It seems like it oh, would be no. awful. It would be absolutely. He says horrible. like twelve words. In the <laughs> <laughs> he is not. He's impossible to connect with emotionally. Um, I I think that like they also they have very little uh, for a film franchise that is based on their chemistry ultimately mm-hmm. they have very little they, on screen chemistry <laughs> yeah I was really surprised by that watching it that I'm like oh right these two are supposed to be into each other yeah yeah but I don't see how, how that develops yeah, no, through their story you just sort of take it for granted you yeah. take it yeah you do exactly mm-hmm. and so like I don't find this character particularly appealing sexually either mm-hmm. so I'm probably two-ish woes oh God, on Neo because cool. the outfits are great yes he's yeah. out he's a, he's a snazzy dresser his hair is good it's always his, his hair, hair is, is always really good. good his hair yeah. is always good but yeah. I do like his hair longer mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm a, I do too I'm a chain reaction oh the, the replacements John Wick Keanu yeah. that's uh-huh. my most attractive Keanu yeah. but <laughs> Jasmine uh, ultimately the person who writes the ship in these conversations <laughs> yes, yes, how yes. Uh, where on the woes scale does neo rank for you or does keanu mm. Ma- matrix era keanu rank yeah for you? yeah i mean he's so attractive in this movie so it's really <laughs> interesting like hearing you because it's all very bad huh. but for me if he's the only huh. reason he's not a five is because not a five yeah wow. he's 4.5 in this movie for me yeah because like the only reason why he's not a five is because of how much of an immature like constantly surprised and like which is like the trope that you're looking for like it takes a while for him to get around to what he's supposed to be yeah. doing it's yeah, gonna be like yeah, complaining yeah, yeah. and whining and i'm like no um but yeah he's so attractive in this it's like uh, so are you thinking that are you saying that keanu is very attractive yes, like yes. this in this sort of yes, okay yes you're, so you're not necessarily attracted to neo just the way that keanu looks in this film the way so for me keanu is always going to be the actor it's it's difficult yeah. for me to like oh. have him that, as like a character because yeah. like when we did um what was that zombie like no cannibal movie or whatever but cannibal movie yes. i don't remember doing a kid oh, oh the bad batch the bad batch yeah the bad batch but, like, oh, where that, i was very attracted yes, to, to the... keanu as like a creepy pudgy uh cult, cult leader, leader. And, and I was like, like Brett, fuck me oh, up. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. Um, I was like, no, yeah. this is so gross. And yeah. I'm like, no, yeah. Th- yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet he smells great <laughs> and also horrible. Yeah. But yeah. we don't know anything about him as a person. Like, you don't know what well, kind of just food he likes. <laughs> Wait, Neo or Keanu? Neo. Yeah, but like for me, it's always he likes noodles. They pass that building yeah. and he says, "Oh, that's that right. I used to eat yeah. there. It's got really good noodles." That was a cute moment. <laughs> it yeah. was a cute more moment. That, or if they <laughs> showed like more of his hacking uh-huh. stuff. Yeah, he's skilled yeah. at it. Then maybe I would have uh-huh. been on board. But he's also like definitely the type of dude that I would have dated for far long longer than I needed to because Ooh, I right. want to like support him and make sure that he was okay. <laughs> oh, all of like, Ke- all yeah. of Neo's girlfriends before Trinity uh-huh. have a completely different opinion. <laughs> Of Neo than the people on the Nebuchadnezzar. If we could interview Neo's former girlfriends, they'd be yeah. like, that dude was a self-obsessed, uh-huh. like, fucking narcissistic, yeah. like, mm-hmm. never wanted to do anything, no. never met uh-huh. any of my friends. Yeah. Like, just a total, like, yeah, they would have mm-hmm. things to say. But so, yeah. but you're saying that if, if you showed up to Keanu's house and mm-hmm. he was like, dressed like that and he was like we're gonna go to like a sisters of mercy <laughs> we're gonna go to like a goth dance night in yes. a warehouse somewhere a hundred percent you'd be like okay yeah. i'm down yeah okay yeah, yeah, yeah. all right uh-huh. well that, that okay. sounds like an ideal night. i so, feel like we're all just coming at this from different <laughs> yes 100 yeah. percent. Yeah. Yeah. fundamentally yeah, different if, places if Keanu came up to me in the you know the office wear that he wears which was so 
poorly fitted because yes. it was the nineties. Yeah. I would yeah. still I would still hit it. Like Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Because yes. I'd be yes. like, Oh, he's so cute trying to dress well. Mm-hmm. And yes. see I so and see I would still probably not. Because I just I there's something about him that I'm like I recognize that this is maybe the most attractive person that's ever lived, <laughs> but I personally have no idea what to do. <laughs> right. There's not enough chubbiness. There's, there's prob- very little texture. There's very little texture. Yeah. I like a lot of I like I like hairs and smells. <laughs> and, yeah, I like I think I like a lot of things that I think Keanu probably just doesn't have a lot of. Mm. I bet he smells immaculate. And yeah. I don't know. I like things to smell a little bit like... Oh God, I like them to smell a little dirty. That's all I'm saying. He's not dirty at all. No. Movie, and in the Bad Batch, he definitely looks like he smells oh dirty. God. I'm like, I'm, I'm here for this. Dude, I was just like, and I need to like come to terms with our very different perspectives yes. when it comes to reading. All right. Yeah. Well, at least we can agree that he's dressed extremely well. Yes, yes, yeah. So that brings us back to our third and final segment, which does not work for this movie. (laughs) Everyone's favorite part of the podcast, the reason that you listen to us talk about a movie you've already seen for 42 minutes, (laughs) is to get to the part where we debate whether it is a different part of the Matrix or not. Can't do that with the movie that inspired the podcast. So instead, we've come up with an interesting uh, thought experiment, I think, um, that is in the spirit of Does It Matrix, but will probably uh, really break some brains. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going to ask this week whether you would take the red pill or the blue pill. Would you take the red pill, escape the Matrix, and go live in the real world where you find out all of the machines are real, you're just a battery, but you have free will? Mm -hmm. Or would you take the blue pill and go back to the Matrix and continue living your life, which I assume is just the lives that we're all currently living Mm -hmm. right now? Mm -hmm. Um, Emmett, you're the guest. Do you feel comfortable going first or would you like... Okay, well, uh, red pill or blue pill? (laughs) So it's... It it would be a really complicated answer. Um, Well, that's... It's a complicated podcast. (laughs) Because one thing to keep in mind is that if I were to take the red pill, yes, I would no longer be in sort of a gender-affirming situation. Mm-hmm. And so that would be very difficult. I would essentially have to, to give up, you know, and everybody else would have to as well, give up everything that you're familiar with and you love um, in order to do kind of what's right or what's real. Mm. Um, but I'm also kind of of the mind that reality is um, mutable anyway and Mm. so I probably would not take the red pill okay I think that's an interesting uh, thought too because like when you mentioned you'd have to give up everything you love I think that they the filmmakers make a point of what what little bit of Neo's humanity you see Mm -hmm. he's miserable and nihilistic exactly Mm -hmm. and so he's nothing he lives in a closet yeah (laughs) (laughs) he lives in a closet and sells like Pirated data to uh, yeah. to uh, I don't even know what those people that invite him to the club are about. I, I don't know if they're. <laughs> I guess they're burgeoning. I don't know. People. I think yeah, they are the people that will grow up in ten years to destroy yeah. the world. Yeah, like yeah. I, that guy's like Mark Zuckerberg inviting him to the fucking yeah. to yes. the club or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like the inventor of Discord is saying, "Come over to the club with us." Yeah, like um. So I yeah, I think it's. It, it's it's an easy decision for Neo to make because yeah. Neo has already a long time ago decided there's nothing for him here mm-hmm. and has been kind of approaching this. We know from his discussion with Trinity that he's got this notion that there's something more, mm-hmm. that he has discovered that mm-hmm. there is in fact something more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's a rude awakening when he finds out <laughs> what it is. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. But I think that's, that's really astute because like what you're actually giving up are is like a life that you've fought very hard to right. enjoy and to so, feel safe with it. <laughs> yeah, so I mean Neo is giving up his miserable life to to be self-actualized whereas I would be giving up self-actualization to be miserable. To be miserable. <laughs> to fight in a war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that you literally that it feels like you have zero choice in fighting in. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's weird to think it's like Neo does 
achieve free will. But on some level, I think that's why the, the sequels are so important because the sequels yeah. subvert that net, that notion that he's giving up, that he's gaining self-actualization just to become a soldier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has, he's, has no more agency. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's Paul Atreides. It's, it's yeah. Dune. It's Dune. It's Dune. <laughs> it's Dune. He gets, he gets magical powers and then, <laughs> and, then like, and then like everything about him being a savior immediately gets subverted mm-hmm. by the way that he... The only thing is that in The Matrix, he doesn't actually commit genocide, mm-hmm. which just makes him a lot better than Paul Atreides. Just a little bit. <laughs> in The Matrix, he comes up with a pretty elegant solution, which is why we love him yeah. more than we love Paul Atreides. Um, Jasmine, yes. red pill or blue pill? So I have like two arguments for both of them, because obviously... Oh, of course um, you but do. I, I feel like pre-pandemic... I would have taken the red pill, but after a very difficult year, two, there two 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 years oh almost God. two years. Yeah, we're verging <laughs> on three. After a very difficult time, there is a lot of safety and like comfort in being like whatever simulated universe that we may exist in right now. I'm gonna keep doing the same thing as opposed to breaking free and then becoming a soldier, be like going to war. And being, if not just as miserable and like scared, but worse by taking the red pill. And to be like, yeah, completely candid, like it's been very difficult, especially like the past year. And so it's just like being able to live in ignorance, like like blissful ignorance like that is (laughs) super appealing. Um, also, I always joke that if we were to be in a zombie ac- apocalypse, I would like volunteer myself to get bit. Like I have no. Oh, we're not, we're not surviving. Like, I have all my friends who think yeah. like, "Oh, how is yes. this? How we survive?" Right? Like, like, yeah. yeah. I'm like, like, why? Like, dude, you can't see to the bathroom without your glasses. Like, <laughs> yes. you're not surviving. Yeah. The no. lens crafters is not open. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like it's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, that, I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, there's just yeah. Ignorance is bliss has always been something All right. like war. Jasmine is a cipher like apparently. <laughs> this girl we're discovering. Um yeah. noted men's rights advocate, Jasmine Lee. <laughs> <laughs> it's my brand. Yeah. That's a joke, by the way, everyone who's listening. Don't come for Jasmine <laughs> that side of Twitter. Um I'll start hitting on her. Um so okay, that leaves me with the uh, uh an Un- unenviable task of yeah. closing out this question, which mm-hmm. is, I'm so curious, so difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I, I lived my, my young life. I had like I, I definitely like had a very active imagination, and kind of, I think, you know, even even into like older childhood, like you know, ten, eleven, twelve still had a lot of like fantasy about mm-hmm. like I mean it would wouldn't it be cool if this toy sword suddenly became real in my hand yeah. and I found out that like this isn't all there is mm-hmm. um, that there is some mm-hmm. greater purpose that washes away all of the sort of and I think as I've grown up and as I've, as I've aged and I've gotten more and more sort of you know encumbered by capitalism and 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 involved in a capitalist society Mm -hmm. in the ways that you have to be to be like even moderately safe or successful as an adult in america um i think that i've i've really found that sort of like fantasy or wish fulfillment to be really comforting the Mm -hmm. idea that you could potentially just wake up one day and look out your window and there's robots everywhere Mm. and it's and then obviously that's not the matrix that's not how it functions but like the notion that like someone could wake you up one day and be like you know what this is actually all just a structure and you've been right your whole life it isn't right it feels wrong Mm. because it is wrong yeah because it is fundamentally designed to make you feel horrible Mm. about yourself and I think that's a thing that appeals to probably a lot of queer people Mm. and neurodivergent people and like this idea that like I fundamentally have felt like the world was off its axis my entire life Mm -hmm. and now someone a beautiful man Mm -hmm. has shown up in these really hilarious classes and has told me you're right yeah um Mm -hmm. I would find it very difficult I think to and also, like a person who's really shown up, and in all in all honesty, has given you a true moral decision 
where you can, like for the first time probably in your actual life as an adult human being you've been told there is a black and white and you can mm-hmm. choose one or the other yeah and yeah. i would find that very appealing mm-hmm. i truly would there would be this notion of self-sacrifice inherent to me the red pill means more about the ability to self-sacrifice for something that meaningful more than mm-hmm. it does self-actualization mm-hmm. but listening to you Emmett mm-hmm. <laughs> describe things and and I'm sitting here next to a person who I care about deeply mm-hmm. and who is like I have this these things in my life that I would essentially I would be foregoing or giving away self-actualization mm-hmm. for pain mm-hmm. and I also feel that way mm-hmm. I feel like I have done a lot of work in my adult life to self-actualize and to find chosen family and 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 really i mean that's another big part of the queer allegory is that neo is rejecting the the sort of things about society the trappings about society that he finds fundamentally off or that do not serve him Mm -hmm. and he's choosing a family i mean Mm -hmm. a huge part of queer identity is chosen family Mm -hmm. and i already have that Mm-hmm. And so I think ultimately I'm probably also taking the blue pill mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't think, mm-hmm. despite being given this choice that was like, if you take the red pill, you can go out here and fight this large thing that mm-hmm. is black and white. But I would be like, yeah, but everyone I left behind. Yeah. And I think the red pill would constantly just be for me. Unlike Cypher, who's just like, I left steaks and blowjobs oh, yeah. behind. And it's like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, I don't care. No, it's more like I left people back there that I yeah. would never be able to stop thinking we can't free them. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's why Neo is the perfect character to take the red pill. Because you have to be sort of a nihilist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have nothing or no one to see that. Because for Neo, it's not, he's not choosing, he's not choosing to be the chosen one. Mm-hmm. He's he doesn't know any of that when he takes the pill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's choosing a family. Yeah. I've already got that. Mm-hmm. So I don't need to take the red pill. Yeah. So that's ultimately my decision. <laughs> um and for the first time in the history of the Keanu Soars, we got to the end in exactly one hour. <laughs> Which yeah. proves that this is the best Keanu Reeves movie more than anything else I could possibly say. Yes. Because yes. the conversation about it was so tight. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been great. It has been an absolute pleasure, Emmett, having you here. Uh, Emmett, you are a cartoonist. You have a social presence because that is how one has to be a cartoonist in yes. 2021. Uh, would you like to plug your social presence or any of your work? I would love to. All uh, right. Tell the people am... where you're at. I am on Twitter seven days a week <laughs> at, uh, my handle is Emmett Comics, which is E-M-M-E-T-T-C-O-M-I-X. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much where I, you can find my Instagram, but I don't do anything there. <laughs> and, um, and we also like to give guests the opportunity to plug something else that they're reading or watching or anything like that. Do you have anything you want to tell people they should check out? Not necessarily that you made, but just something right. that you're enjoying. Well, right now, because of a, a project that I'm working on, I'm working through the the, the white guy canon of, <laughs> of media. So I've been reading Preacher. Yeah. Uh, I've recently okay. finished Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, the mm-hmm. book. Um, I would not necessarily recommend people to, to read either of those things unless you're very curious and coming at it from a point of view that you understand when the, they were made. the issues yes yeah. not just yeah. when but by whom by and whom. under yeah. what context yeah mm-hmm. um that's good they're they're both great though they are great pieces of media they but, are. yeah yeah that have vast problems vast as well problems. yes yeah but um okay so uh emmett wants you to read the white guy canon <laughs> no uh, don't do it <laughs> Uh, Jasmine, um, where can people find you on social media and what are you enjoying right now? Yes, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Blueberry Jelly. I've actually turned my Instagram off. I'm like going through like a good whole for mental you. thing. Um, I'm good. I don't really miss Instagram that much. So that's it's great. awful. It's yeah. absolutely horrible. Yeah. You, you essentially, so take, honestly, taking the red pill is <laughs> shutting, is like getting Facebook and Instagram yes. off your phone. That is yes. taking the red pill. Yeah. <laughs> the, like, uh, the only thing I do miss, though, is how much uh, Chicago local events I, yeah. information I get from Instagram. So that's the only thing I miss. But um, And then things that I'm like currently enjoying. I'm rewatching Castle, which I'm kind oh. of annoyed at myself of because Nathan <laughs> Fillion 
is a little bit problematic when it comes to Sonic Attic, but like, like he made her life hell on set and oh, was painted the whole I did like not know this. club thing. Yeah. Oh wow. And so I mean, he is one of Joss Whedon's favored yes. sons. So, <laughs> so like that's all tracks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I'm just kind of like, but it's like another, and also it's it's very it's very blue collar pro cop, which I didn't fully realize until rewatching now i'm just like all right well. it's a cop show yes i know but like i didn't realize how they were like you know new york cops are there to like save your life and everyone who is on the Lord, opposite side of my table experience with scary. new york police yeah. <laughs> and so i'm just like there's a lot of things where i'm just kind of like, so i don't feel like you're actually telling people they should watch this <laughs> no, at all definitely don't watch we're all just suffering no. yeah collectively. but something that i do recommend people to be doing is uh, my boyfriend nick and i are deep into like ufo conspiracy theories oh, right wow. now wow. and it's it's really interesting where he's coming from it because he's very into like the um you know political conspiracy that it involves and for me i mean i was obsessed with roswell when i was in high school and just mm-hmm. that was also my first entrant into like fan fiction so that's like the whole did thing. roswell but, help you escape christianity uh no vampire <laughs> novels did okay <laughs> yeah like romantic certainly no vampire. christian allegory in yeah. vampire film yeah. novels no. <laughs> that was like a stepping stone before then, I read like Christian romances. Okay, um, yeah, they're very similar, honestly, and structurally. Yeah, yeah. It's a little sexier, vampires are a little sexier. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, and then for me, UFOs, I'm so intrigued because it's just like you can talk about so much when it comes to um, like immigration and also just like you know uh, immigrant communities as well as just the impact of how. Uh, people who were like against the in the 60s like the government was always like you know go america russia is trying to ruin us so ufos are of course some sort of like russian technology that's gonna like ruin everything and hence you have to like be very paranoid and that's fascinating to dig through so that's where i am right now so my suggestion actually Uh weirdly somehow dovetails (laughs) off of that yeah yeah um and it is a film, a film I watched recently, and um, it was like a 2020 release. It's mm-hmm. one of those things that a lot of people missed because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a very low budget film that somehow manages to not look or feel like mm-hmm. one. It's called The Vast of Night. Mm-hmm. It is currently streaming on uh, on Amazon Prime for free. Uh-huh. Oh. Um, an absolutely beautiful film about about the Red Scare about. Uh-huh potential alien invasion in the 50s, like UFO sightings in the 50s. Mm. It has a very War of the Worlds radio broadcast kind of quality to it. It is exceptionally acted. Mm. It is written. It is, it. the writing is crisp. It is almost all dialogue and it is performed extremely well. It's a writer's movie. Uh Um, So The Vast of Night uh, streaming for free right now on Amazon Prime. So that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you, Jasmine, as always, for helping guide me through The Matrix. Thank you, Emmett, for being here and the absolutely fantastic discussion that uh, grew out of it. And thank all of you for listening. And we will see you soon for The Matrix sequels that no one but me wants to talk about. Bye. Bye. Bye.